This is Olivia Williams. I'm your host of History Unadulterated. If you're coming from the previous episode, you heard me cough and drink a lot of iced coffee. Um, I know water would better lubricate my throat, um, but I make bad decisions, and it's late, and I need something to keep me up. (laughs) So, you know, so if you've been listening to the last two episodes, you know that this next episode is going to be on queer history. It is going to follow the same pattern as the last one. We're going to talk about some important events, some things to note, and some historical figures. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So, 1924. There's a soldier in Germany who sees the rise of what was called homophile organizations, which were a name for um, gay rights activists. He sees the rise. He wants to bring that back home with him. So when he returns to America, he goes to Chicago and founds the Society for Human Rights um, organization. And it was the first gay rights organization in uh, American history. Um, fast forwarding a lot, uh, we have 1966. So I'm including this because, I mean, y'all know we're going to talk about Stonewall. Everyone's got to talk about Stonewall. But people forget that there were things that occurred before Stonewall. Like Stonewall was an isolated event. There were riots, there were protests, there were things happening all the time. And, you know, nothing really. Nothing stuck until Stonewall. And that's why it's a really big deal. I mean, Pride Month, Pride is based off of Stonewall. Um, But these other events are still important. And a lot of the time they're overlooked because they involve um, people of color. They involve trans women. They involve drag queens. They involve the overlooked members of our community who actually did the most work to get us the rights that we enjoy so much. I'm thankful every day for them. Um, but anyway, 1966, we have the Compton Cafeteria Riot. Um, one day, a police officer grabbed a drag queen in the Compton Cafeteria, at which was a 24-hour diner. And then she proceeded to throw a cup of coffee in his face. Um, a riot started immediately. And things were broken. Windows were broken. Everything, things were damaged. Tables were flipped. And all of it was justified, as the cops had arrested countless trans women and drag queens for any reason they could find um, continually in at the um, at this Compton cafeteria at this uh, diner. Um, the owner of the diner uh, banned these women and drag queens, and they responded with protests that got zero news coverage. So. The cops were always raiding this diner, and therefore the diner said, okay, y'all can't come here anymore because you're causing these riots. Um, Obviously not an ally. Um, And so these drag queens, these trans women, responded to the banning with protests. They picketed for days and weeks. And not once, not one newspaper, not one news channel, not one commercial, no one, no one covered it. 
and it was because there were black and Latino women just trying to get some rights. <sighs> 1969. Y'all know the date. The Stonewall riot started early morning on June 28th. This is about 2 a.m. When police raided the Stonewall Inn for the second time that week. It was a popular night spot for LGBTQ New Yorkers. Uh, that night, the people refused to disperse. However, this was a very common thing, but this night, people just were fed up, and they refused to leave, and they fought with the police. For the following week, riots occurred in the streets as a demonstration against police brutality and for gay liberation. Ever since then, pride parades have occurred across the world in commemoration of these riots. One thing I want to say before continuing... Um, Last year, around this time, and a few months before, the Black Lives Matter movement was very big. The marches were very big. And the news covered about 2% of what was really happening. They covered violence because whether it was conscious or unconscious, there was such clear bias in that news coverage. And all these people, gay people, were like, this is bad, there's violence, it should be very peaceful. As if oppressed peoples who have undergone so many, like, countless murders at the hands of the police need to still be kind to the people oppressing them. Like, what? No. Just flat out, no. And people are like... Be calm. It's just be peaceful. When the first pride, this thing that they celebrate so happily every year, was a riot. A genuine riot. The Black Lives Matter movement, there weren't those weren't even real riots. <sighs> just makes me smile from the irony. Um one very important person, um, my um, biggest historical crush, uh, Storm Delivery. Delivery. I can't pronounce uh, her last name. Um, she is believed to be the catalyst for the riots breaking out as she asked the crowd while she was being pushed into the back of a cop car, aren't you going to do something? The inn was being raided. She was taken. Um, she was pushed into a cop car and just angry, of course. And she yells out to the crowd, aren't you going to do something? And instantly a riot breaks out. And now we have pride. Uh, um, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about this first or this first. Let's talk about this first. Um, it is enraging. I hope you get as mad as I do. We're going to talk about um, the Cold War and what that meant for LGBT people. Uh, so this was occurring in the 1960s to the 1990s. I have a lot here, so please bear with me as I drop a lot of information on you. There was a film made. Sorry, just one second. I need a little, little sippy sip. There was a film made called The Fruit Machine, which examined this four-decade-long purge of gay Canadians in the military and public servants to Canada. This was during the Cold War, which was the whole thing with Russia. So everybody was all like, oh, about like um, home security, like homeland security, 
um feeling safe and like not wanting to get like overthrown or like taken by Russia or whatever people were scared and I'll get more into like why homosexuality was not like a thing that was okay in the workforce like or like in these like security sensitive jobs um for the people who were employing them like why they didn't see it as okay in just like one second but keep that in mind uh so these men and women were interrogated and harassed into disclosing their sexualities and subsequently being fired and terminated canada was scared because of the cold war regarding national security homosexuality was seen as a character weakness because if threatened with exposure by the Soviet Union, um, these gay, lesbian, and bisexual people may be more apt to betray their country and reveal secrets. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Um, because of this, they were purged from government workforces in fear of them giving secrets to the Soviet Union, even if they had no access to security details. The investigations allowed the RCMP to keep LGBT individuals on file as gay. By 1968, so about eight years since all this started, the list had 9,000 names on it, and only a third of them were actually public servants. Methods of finding gay men, particularly in the 70s, included photographing people in gay nightclubs, surveillance cameras in parks used for cruising. If you don't know what cruising is, um, Google. Uh, officers pretending to be gay and like tra trap gay men in compromising situations. Um, cameras in officers' bedrooms, even, and using known gay men as informants to find others. The fruit machine was a device used to try to identify gay people by showing them um, erotic images and checking their pupil dilation, but results were inconclusive and the machine was abandoned. Um... Hearing that, that ended in like the early 1990s. And it is just atrocious. It's an atrocity. I would go as far to call it an atrocity. It's um, saddening. Saddening is what it is. To know that 30 years ago, um, people were being interrogated and harassed. One man. Same as John Watkins. He died of a heart attack after 27 days of interrogation regarding his sexuality at the hands of the RCMP. The RCMP were the ones who did this. For 40 years, people were fired, lives were ruined, they were outed to their whole families, all because they were scared that they would give away government secrets that they may not have even had access to. And it is just atrocious. That's not even the saddest thing I'm gonna talk about. Um, before I move on to my final thing, I don't have this written down on my notes, but I do know a little bit about it. So I'm gonna talk about the lavender scare. The Lavender Scare happened around the same time, but it was an American thing. The Lavender Scare involved um, feminists and lesbians. So the feminists were scared that lesbians would be undermining the um, feminist movement because oftentimes they would present in masculine ways. And so they were like, they're taking the femininity out of feminism 
and excluded them from women's rights movements and from marches and from work that they could be doing to help progress the movement. The thing about feminism is I am a feminist because I believe in human rights for all people, no matter their gender, of which there are many, by the way. Um, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? <laughs> oh, it was... Pardon me. I hope no one else other than Miss Mac listens to this. Um, but if you do, hey, this is me without a script. Um, sorry, I lost my entire train of thought. Uh, it's not important. Anyway, the lavender scare. So this is um, feminism. Not intersectional at all. Um, feminists were notorious for, early feminists were notorious for um, excluding black women, any woman of color, um, queer women. Um, basically women who didn't fit in to the classic cis, straight, white, um, woman. And that is, like, bullshit. Even when, um, uh, fighting the suffragette movement, so fighting for women's right to vote, that right only went to white women initially. Like, it didn't even go to, like, the black women even though they were freed. They weren't slaves anymore. They were whole people. But I guess their opinion just wasn't valued. And they weren't allowed to vote initially. So the lavender scare. The fear of lesbians. It's actually interesting. The history of the word of like lavender in um, queer women culture is um, women would wear like sprigs of lavender in their like coats or in their pockets and that was like a signal to like other women around them that uh they were queer cute queers have just always been <laughs> coding um if you don't know what coding is or signaling you can google that too um and finally you cannot talk about um queer history without talking about the aids epidemic the AIDS epidemic was a tragic time for the LGBT community. Gay men were othered and seen as the only people with AIDS. People wouldn't touch them. They didn't want to be near them. They didn't want to associate with them. Before the name AIDS was even coined, so it's autoimmune deficiency syndrome, um, before that was the official name of like what happens after your HIV gets like, you know, really bad. Um, it was referred to as GRIDS, standing for Gay-Related Immune Deficiency Syndrome. AIDS victims were ostracized, and a lot of doctors and nurses wouldn't even touch them or treat them like people, the gay ones, I mean. Um, and because of this lack of sufficient care, it was actually the lesbians who stepped up. They were the ones who cared for these sick gay men who were all alone. They were so important and valued that the LGBT acronym was being, like when it was being created, the gay men fought for the L to be first to commemorate what they did. Because, I mean, the doctors didn't even know how AIDS was spread. They didn't know. They were scared. They didn't want to catch it, so they wouldn't go near them. 
So if the doctors don't know, the civilians obviously don't know either. So these women were going in and like taking care of these sick people, risking themselves because they don't know how it spread. And um, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show like, I could go on and on about how um, cis white gay men are the poster child for the gay liberation movement. Um, Meanwhile, it's the trans women of color who do all the work. Like, everybody's overlooked. They, the trans women of color, are especially overlooked. Um, Sorry, I have to sneeze. Sorry. Any... I mean, queer person of color is overlooked, and lesbians are often overlooked. There's so many stereotypes um, that affect us, even within the community. Because here's the thing about like gay stereotypes against like gay men, is that they are like unacceptable in the community and outside of the community. But stereotypes against lesbians or against like any woman within the queer community are acceptable because they're not just rooted in homophobia, but misogyny as well. And misogyny um, just trumps it all, doesn't she? She really does. Um, yeah. Lesbians were commemorated for their bravery by having the L first in the acronym, but still, sadly, we are overlooked. But I digress, and I continue to fight. Um, so yeah, those are, um, <laughs> I knew this was this episode I was going to be more rambly because I, I know more, I have more experience, I have more knowledge on this than African American history. Um, there's really only one thing, oh, I'm, actually I'm going to do that last. Um, before I get into my things to note, of which there are only one, I'll take some water, and I'll also talk about some historical um queer figures who are super super duper duper important (laughs) important um rashi p johnson um we all know her we all love her she's a black queer trans activist who fought for gay and trans liberation she was present at stonewall um she was actually late she's often credited as being the person who started it she didn't it was my girl stormy um (laughs) She was actually late to Stonewall, but she was there. And she and a friend started the STAR program, which was meant to provide social services to LGBT people. They provided, um, like, housing and food and water and shelter and everything. Um, different, um, like, uh, whatchamacallums, um, <laughs> supplies to, like, homeless, um, trans- homeless uh, queer people. And it was a very important and wonderful program. Second person is Sylvia Rivera. She was um, a self-identified drag queen who fought for gay and trans liberation as well as her good friend Marsha P. And she fought for the recognition of queer and trans people of color in LGBT spaces. I already touched on it. That, um, uh, queer and trans people of color are the most overlooked people while doing most of the work. Um, (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Sorry about that. Um, And she fought for that back in the 60s, and here we are still fighting for it today. 
Uh, and I mentioned a friend uh, who helped Marsha P with the STAR program. It was Sylvia Rivera, who was the like co-upstarter um, of it. Our third person is Harvey Milk. So Harvey Milk was an open and proud gay man who was the first openly gay Californian to be elected to office. He was a human rights activist and gay rights activist. He was a member of parliament, not parliament, that's Canada. He was a member of something. I don't understand how American government works. Um, (laughs) uh, He was a member of office in San Fran and the people loved him. Our last person is Phyllis Leone. So she was one of the founders of the Daughters of Bilitis. Um, if you know anything about lesbians, you know about Sappho. You've probably heard the word like sapphic or like um, sapphist or something. Um, that comes from Sappho. She was a Greek poet. She was very gay. Uh, there's even an island called Lesbos. That's where Sappho lived. And that's even where the term lesbian comes from. Like she is so important uh, that our whole thing is based off of her. And she wrote a poem in in which... Sorry, I was really close to the microphone there. It's probably really loud for a second. I'm sorry about that. Um, she wrote a poem about somebody named Bilitis. And so this group was named after that subject of the poem. It was founded in 1955. And it was uh, one of the first like lesbian um, groups in San Francisco, um, also in America. She was a pioneer and a trailblazer for gay rights in America. She... I think I read during my research that she and her uh, wife uh, had been together forever. They were together during Daughters of Bilitis. I think they started it together, actually. And when gay marriage was legalized in California, uh, she and her wife were the first to get married in 2008, before they both died, shortly after. Yeah, okay, so I'm getting emotional. I'm sorry. These are, so those are the historical figures. And there's only one thing I want to note about queer history. And that is because right now there is such a debate. There is so much, um, the word is discourse that has been used, that's being used now in the internet lingo um, regarding um, what is known as like kink at pride. So, there are a lot of there. I've I've heard it myself from like straight people saying like they are not comfortable being a pride because of all of like the leather and the nudity and all the stuff. And what they're describing is what is now being considered um, kink. Um, what we're talking, what we're really talking about is leather, though. So the history of leather in the queer community. Um, it's a hot topic right now. A lot of queer people and straight people don't think that leather queens or leather dykes, um, I'm allowed to say that word, um, are not, like, don't belong at Pride or shouldn't be at Pride because they associate leather with the kink community. But the history of leather in queer spaces is rich and important. The biker community and the queer community after World War II were heavily intertwined as both of these communities were inherently countercultural. Um, there was just a lot of overlap, um, a lot of gay bikers, a lot of bikers who were gay, uh, and the big part of it, of leather at Pride, 
I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I'm pretty sure that leather isn't flammable. Like, leather won't burn. Or it won't burn easily. And whenever gay men with AIDS, or any person with AIDS, uh, would die, all of their belongings would be burnt. And the leather of these known gay men would be saved by the lesbians who were tending to them before all their belongings were collected. And this piece of leather, whatever article of clothing it may be, would be passed down from person to person between the generations. When you see someone leather-clad at Pride, they aren't promoting um, like sex or promiscuity to the children. They are donning a crown that has been passed down through the ages. It's symbolic and powerful and most certainly belongs at Pride. And one thing I forgot to mention, because it isn't in my notes, but I really want to say about the AIDS epidemic, is that... When AIDS first became known to the public, it was seen as something that affected gay people. The government didn't care about us then. They still don't really care about us now. And not a thing was done. I saw this picture and it was the um, San Francisco um, Gay Men's Choir and they dressed um, the members who represented those who survived the AIDS epidemic in white and those who did not in black, took a picture and there were about five of them. There's about 150 people in this group. About five of them were wearing white. An entire generation was lost to AIDS and it wasn't necessary. Money was poured into research once people who weren't gay were getting AIDS. Once it was women, um, children, people who aren't like, you know, related to the queer community at all. But before that, before it was known that this was something that affected more than just gay people, the money wasn't poured into the research. We lost an entire generation of gay men that should be alive today still, but aren't because the government didn't care. And that was about 50 years ago. (sighs) It's easy to not be so emotional um, talking about um, black history, like African-American history, because it feels like it happened forever ago, even though we still feel the effects today. But this stuff, this stuff exists. This stuff happened 50 years ago. This is a hundred years, the past hundred years. Like in modern history, we talk about the past 150 years. That is what modern history is. This isn't even history. This is modern history. And it's not taught in schools. (laughs) It is so sad and it is all facts. And for whatever reason, it isn't deemed necessary to learn both of those topics, queer history and um, African-American history. And now I'm just rambling and talking. Um, Maybe this is a digress, not digress. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, But yeah, a little uh, debrief is the word I'm looking for. This is my debrief. So. Here are my thoughts. 
I wish school taught us things that were important to life that didn't just assist us in survival. People talk about how school should teach us taxes and how to like apply for jobs and how to um, rent an apartment. These are things I think that we need. These are things I also wish school taught us. But school also needs to teach us how to be good people. It's heartbreaking when you learn about this stuff. And I think everybody needs to be heartbroken over this, over these things. If you aren't heartbroken, you aren't listening. And people like to say, just stop thinking about the past, get over it. But until we all know the past and all understand why we're still angry and still fighting, we can't forget about the past. We have to talk about it. So here I am talking about it, learning about my own history and trying to educate others. Not that this will ever be listened to anyone other than you, Miss Mac. Hello, Miss Mac. Um, hope you enjoyed my ramblings. Uh, but yeah, it was heartbreaking. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to History Unadulterated. I am your host, Olivia Williams. It has been um, a pleasure, (laughs) full of tears, um, learning, educating myself so that I can educate y'all. And I will see you all in another life. Goodbye.